0: Good morning, or rather good afternoon everyone. It's good to see all who have returned for the second session, second day of conference. We appreciated all the kindness shown to us yesterday, all the purvey, and we appreciated all the fellowship with God's people. Now we're going to continue our studies in Romans 12 to 16, and we've reached chapter number 14. Our brother dealt with chapter 13 in the final session, and uh, we're going to read chapter 14 together. Chapter 14 of this epistle. We'll read the whole chapter together. (coughs) Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up or held up, for God is able to make him stand. One man steameth one day above another, another steameth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block, or an occasion to fall, in his brother's way. I, I know, and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things where one may edify another. There's a good motto for this year. Let's read that verse again. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything, whereby thy brother stumbled, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth, not himself, in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned or is condemned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, you'll know this argument goes on to verse 7 of chapter 15, but I'm going to have to leave it there for what I'm going to have to deal with today. <coughs> May God bless the reading of the Holy Scripture. <coughs> Some years ago I was preaching with a brother, it was a uh, few speakers, in one session on a Saturday night, and uh, the brother said, almost as a throwaway comment, um, he said, um, Sure, we wouldn't um, break up the assembly over spilt milk. That was the phrase he used over spilt milk. <clears throat> the previous week to that, uh, a sister in our meeting had always brought the milk to the Saturday night meeting, and she'd done it for many years and another sister was out shopping and she saw some UHT cartons and she thought the very thing instead of bringing fresh milk at time we'll just have a big box of UHT cartons and she had that and she bought it and she brought it into the kitchen <clears throat> but the sister that always had brought the milk had a problem with this new regime and there were some words and perhaps some words that shouldn't have been said in. and the next day a brother got involved and it seemed to just escalate up and by the time I heard about it It was a Sunday night and uh, I had a a Bible reading I uh, I was going to be taking on the Friday and there was only a lot of folk coming and I thought I'm going to have the week to get at this passage, you know. Well Monday night instead was visiting sister number one with another brother, Tuesday night was visiting sister number two with another brother, Wednesday night was visiting brother and Thursday was bringing them all together so it was all reconciled and Friday night came the Bible reading. And I hadn't had as much chance at all to get at it. But what I do remember is that the passage under consideration, it wasn't Romans 14, but it was a very similar passage. And I remember what the Lord was teaching me was experiential knowledge. Not just the knowledge of the text. You see, brothers and sisters, the reality is that these things do matter. Here's an epistle dealing with consecration reconciliation, justification for all wonderful truths as Christians and you say we're getting spilt milk. You see when it comes to the assembly, that's where we got to in chapter 12, it's so precious that little things matter. Very little things matter because the assembly is precious to God. And yes, there's pettiness, and yes, there's scruples, and yes, there's silliness. But you know what, brothers and sisters, we mustn't allow the little things to go. Because there's a bigger prize at stake. It's called the unity and the harmony of the assembly of God's people. And when I was young, you know, I didn't know much about it. And I would say, why can't we do this, and why can't we do that, and why can't... We have this, and, on a, on a, and you know, you didn't realise that it's actually quite complex. As soon as you get a bit older, you realise just how difficult it is, even moving a meeting from a Tuesday night to a Wednesday night. You know, it's not as straightforward. There's a bit of this negotiation and discussion to be doing. And this last two or three years in COVID, dear me, what we've been put through our paces, have we not? How we're to arrange the meetings through it all. And, brothers and sisters, there's a multitude of issues that are way, way beyond doctrine that can really divide us and we need a lot of wisdom that's why Solomon asked for wisdom You know, he asked for the right thing didn't he we need a lot of wisdom in this passage our brother has been in the last session there brought us from the personal and then I in the next session brought us to the corporate and we were in bigger society indeed civil society by the time we get into chapter 13 the Christians life and the wider circle of civil society and the way our Christian life is and now we're bringing Brad Brad now to the assembly again and we are looking at conscience issues now let's be clear what conscience issues are conscience issues are not doctrinal issues and the big danger is that we make conscience issues doctrine that's a big danger or doctrine issues conscience just as bad and I'm looking out and I'm seeing the sisters with their head covered and the brethren with their head uncovered and I noticed it's brethren that are taking part I would say that's I'm delighted by that because that's doctrine. That's doctrine. That's first Corinthians fourteen. That's one Timothy two. That's first Corinthians eleven. But I'm not speaking about doctrine today, I'm speaking about all the other stuff. And you know that all that other stuff has caused many a problem over the years in God's assemblies. <coughs> all the personality differences. You know what? It's an amazing thing. You know, we're not brought together because we're some sort of club. Of similar types of people. We're drawn from all different backgrounds. Different social strata, Different ethnicities. Different parts of the world. We speak different. We look different. And we're brought because of a common love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us in Calvary's cross and rose again. And we're going to be with him for all eternity. And he's asked us to get on together when we're down here. Is that too hard? Is that too much to ask? That we all get on together? It actually, brothers and sisters, needs the Spirit of God to do it. Because naturally speaking, there'll be things that will get up your nose. And you'll need a lot of forbearance. And you'll need a lot of forgiveness. Because you're different to me and I'm different to you. And that's what this chapter's getting into. Now, you say, oh, it's just a Jew gentle issue. The Jews had scruples about the food. Uh, and they had all their dietary laws and they were in the assembly now and they still kept on to them I thought they could just get over it and, and the gen- and Gentiles they were pagans so they never had a problem with eating pork and all the rest of it it's a first century problem this chapters are irrelevant to us I tell you brothers and sisters it's utterly relevant to us and it's not just as straightforward a Jew Gentile problem either by the way the Roman epistle is quite a complex book and it's not just a straightforward Jew Gentile debate. Well, that's there that's definitely there the whole law issue But you know those pagan idols that those Gentiles used to go and offer their food to when they got saved? They never did that again. They never went back to the pagan amphitheatres. Just remember that when you get saved, you don't go back to the pagan amphitheatres. They're not places for you to go to. And in actual fact, some of those Gentiles had sensitivities about certain food that was offered to idols. So some of the Gentiles, you know, had problems with foods as well, not just the Jews. Oh, there was another problem. It wasn't just the, the Jewish uh, scruples of Judaism that was found here. There was another problem. We called it antinomianism when you were in chapter 6. Shall we, do, shall we continue in sin that grace me about? There was a kind of embryo form of Gnostic heresy that kind of said that God was quite distant and uh, man, uh, things down here were quite evil. And, and, and in order to get to know that God, we needed the, the Spirit and Christ, which they thought were emanations of God. And they said that this body was p- imprisoning my soul and my spirit. And the only way to release it was either through asceticism, sort of monastic vows and rituals and traditions, or you could get such speculative reasoning, you could be so spiritual, it didn't really matter what you did with the body. And two groups emerged. One that lived self-indulgent lives because the flesh didn't matter. All that mattered was spiritual things another group of members that says no we'll have strict rules to keep this imprisoned, that's all found in the Romans it's all here and it's a mixture of issues here in this chapter, (laughs) now in case you think all of that stuff I've just said is a kind of ancient problem, it's all around you in Aberdeen, most of the major denominations and most of the major religions can trace their errors back to these things (laughs) and celibacy and monastic vows and all the rest of it within one of the major institutions in our country can trace itself back to Gnosticism and there's other things within Pentecostalism that can trace itself back to these very things so it is here <clears throat> but I want to speak today about how we get on together because there's a whole pile of things that can that I might feel strongly about and it can be very little things <coughs> I'm wearing a gold ring here, it's on my finger, I'm a married man. I've you, brothers and sisters for many years, and in fact in certain parts of the world I still take it off when I'm preaching. Because I don't want to shut the ears to the audience when I'm preaching, because many folk regard that to be a step too far. Now I don't suppose there'll be too many here, do, you? that's why I've used that example. Well that's an example of many things that in the past could have been a problem could have been a difficulty and we need sensitivity about how to handle matters like that When I'm in India you know, the last thing I would do would be to place my Bible on the ground You say in my house right beside my sati I have Bibles piled up on the ground You wouldn't do that in India The Hindus you know They never put the Hindu scriptures on the ground. And the Christians are taught when you get saved, you never put the scriptures on the ground. You say, "Well, it doesn't really matter. Well, it does when you're there. Unless you want to shut the ears of everybody you're preaching to, it does when you're there. In other words, it's a sensitivity to cultural things and conscience issues that emerge. Trade union, should you be in it or not? When you go to the court to be a witness to a crime, Should you swear in the Bible or should you just vow? uh, Rather, uh, what's it? uh, Affirm. You you, you could just begin to keep on bringing them on to me. There's a whole pile of issues. They're not doctrine issues. They're conscience issues. But they're massive. The dress code. Big one. It's not doctrine. But I'll tell you what, there's plenty of conscience about it. These are matters that have divided the people of God for years. And so we move sensitively into this chapter. And I would ask you to pray for me as we deal with it. Because I will tell you what, none of us really like dealing with chapter 14 because it's far too real. It's right at the heart of the issues in assembly life. Let's try and deal with the passage then. Verses 1 to 3 deal with how the assembly should 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 not be a place for judging another man 's actions by our scruples or despising another man 's scruples and lack of understanding. I suppose that we just write over the first three verses or really the first four verses attitude what 's my attitude to my brother and my sister what 's their attitude to me it 's not a place for judging another man 's scruples verses five to nine. I would write over that, approval, verses 5 to 9. Because it's saying that the matters of conscience should be before the Lord, and for no other reason. In other words, whatever you believe, you must address it before the Lord. It's not a light thing. It's something you've got to be confirmed in your mind you're doing for the Lord's sake. So, let's call that... Approval before the Lord. Verses 10 to 12, I'm going to read over that appraisal because at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, the tribunal is not so much my brother and sister's judgment on me. The tribunal is going to be in a day to come when the Lord comes at the judgment seat of Christ. But how I have handled these small things so-called in assembly life. Yes, it's all going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's verses 10, 11 and 12. In verses 13 to the end, in actual fact it goes on to chapter 15 and verse 7, I'm going to write over that, approach. So how do I approach my brother and sister? And we're going to see as we go down this section, there are, and I'm going to try and get there for the most part of the time, seven principles that have to guide me in the way I relate to you, and the way you have to relate to me. And the first principle is the cross principle in verses 13 to 15. And then we're going to have the kingdom principle in verses 16 to 18. And then we're going to have the corporate principle in verses 19 to 21. And then we'll look at the character principle in the last two verses. So that's a bit of a breakdown. Approach is the last little section. Now let's come to the first four verses very quickly. Let's read again what it says in verse number 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Weak in the faith Now those of you who like A wee bit of Greek grammar Will know what an article is The The faith Well that word the isn't actually in the text And I'm awful glad Because if someone was weak in the faith You wouldn't receive them at all They're not saved The faith stands for the body of doctrine that we believe but that's not what's being talked about here It says him that's weak in faith Receive you Faith what? The salvation No This has got to do with their scruples it's got to do with their scruples about certain foodstances and certain days that you think are special. And it's saying now, you don't receive someone to judge their scruples. You're not going to receive them into the fellowship to sort out and point score over doubtful, doubtful, um, doubtful points that they believe in. You're not receiving them to pass judgment on their scruples or to create dispute. They actually, is suggesting here in verse number one, you'll warmly receive them you'll warmly receive them. You're not doing it to judge them over whatever scruples they have about their dietary laws or whatever else. <clears throat> and so there's something here about the it's going to speak about the strong brother and the weak brother here and obviously the strong brother in the context here is someone who doesn't have any problems about what types of food to eat and doesn't have any problems about the days of the week. But brothers and sisters I've discovered as I go through this passage and I think you might be discovering it too Sometimes I'm strong and sometimes I'm weak. Okay? I wouldn't be too, too too rigid about it all. But certainly there's an emphasis here that whatever we do is we receive people into assembly fellowship. It's not to pass judgment on their scruples. We might warn them about some of the sensitivities that are taking place in assembly life. I think that's just a bit of wisdom. But it's not something you're going to be judging them for. Now look at their stoop because this explains it this is the this type of differences we're talking about one person believes that he may eat anything, another person is only eating herbs or vegetables, so we've got vegetarians now, this isn't the vegetarians of the modern era, I'm sure there's in this audience a good number of you who are vegetarians for health reasons, this is for, if you like we'll call it religious reasons, spiritual reasons, people believe they shouldn't eat certain types of food now, Apostle Paul is going to deal absolutely clearly with this in verse 14 when he says, I know and I am persuaded of the Lord that there's nothing unclean of itself. He's going to make it pretty clear that he believes he can eat anything, right? 1 Timothy 4 makes it clear, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it's sanctified by the word of God and power. I suppose I'm one of the people who attend to eat anything. Now I've discovered that even that's a contentious statement I've just made. Because somebody will get me in the back saying, what about black puddings? And before I know it, I'll be onto something, right? But the point is this, that he's making it clear here, and that's a conscience issue, by the way. And by the way, don't take it lightly. I'm absolutely sure in this room here, there'll be quite a few with a conscience on that very issue. So the point is this, that even when it comes to what you call the simple stuff, it's not simple, it's quite complex. But the Apostle Paul is saying that he is prepared to eat all food. But clearly in the company here in Rome there was quite a number who didn't. And so he's describing the problem here and he's exposing two attitudes in verse 3. Look at verse 3 together. Here's the two attitudes. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. This is the strong despising the weak. They are they they are they are are showing contempt for their brother and sister by what they think is just a narrow view and just pedantry. Brothers and sisters sisters feel it when you do that. You know that. You look down your nose at them because you've been released from the problem they've got. And they feel it. They feel their smallness. Apostle Paul saying, don't do it. It's not the love of Christ. But then he gives another attitude, and I suppose we would say this is the weak brother in the second part of verse three. Let not him which eateth, well, let him, not him which eateth not, judge him that eateth, for God hath received them. In other words, here's now the supposedly weak brother, and he is passing, I suppose, a censorious um, view on his, old, on, his, on his brother or on his sister, and he's saying, "Don't you censor your brothers?" says Paul. Don't judge him, don't make the measuring rod of spirituality, what he's eating that day. And so you can see one is treating their brother with contempt, because it's just narrowness and pedantry, and the other is actually judging him. Both are wrong. So both attitudes are being exposed here in verse number 3. But verse number (coughs) 4 shows the way to regulate this because in verse 4 it says who art thou that judgest another man's servant now I suppose we're not used to domestic servants in Scotland but in many countries they are and they certainly were used to it in Rome so they were quite used to the idea of somebody having servants and the last thing you did was take somebody else's servant and tell them how to do the job for their master you know that was the job of the master to do the telling to the servant how to do the job you know you just didn't do that it wasn't etiquette to go into somebody else's servant and tell him how to do the job for their master and he's saying now who do you think you are passing judgment on another man's servant he says remember I'm the Lord I'm the Lord and remember who you are you don't have the right to do this and in actual fact I have made him stand by the way that when it says made him stand there in verse 4 it says I have acquitted him that's not really the thought and he's really pointing out here in these verses the strong is never to despise the weak not to look down the nose and the weaks not to feel impacted and begin to censor or impose judgment on the older one because in actual fact God is the master of them all. Now you say well that's pretty straightforward. The two attitudes have been exposed. If only it was as simple as well, that. Brothers and sisters the reality is, in the assembly that you're formed, you can begin now to think of the things that agendas that people are pushing and the things that cause the ripples and the difficulties in assembly life. Now just ask yourself, what attitude do you have in relation to it? That's really where the Word of God comes now. It's now coming a bit closer. Now in verses 5 through to 9, it gives us, I suppose, the antidote to these problems. The antidote to the issues that can sometimes divide the people of God. And I've always said that, what I said yesterday, that love is the principle. This is what we're going to see now emerging. But notice, the Lordship of Christ is what comes out. And in verses 5 to 9, we see approval. Look at verse 5. So now we're moving on to, not dietary issues, we're moving on to the days of the week. Some folk would obviously think that the Sabbath was very important. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. So one of the things it is saying is, look, you've got to be convinced in your mind what you do. We were hearing yesterday that there's no place for lazy Christians. And I suppose the context for that was all the activities associated in the assembly and everything. But you know there's no place for a lazy mind as well as believers. If you choose to wash your car on a Sunday and another person chooses not to, you better be fully convinced in your mind while you're doing it. If you choose to be a member of a trade union and a brother another brother doesn't, you better be fully convinced in your mind before God about it in other words, he's asking us not to take it lightly sometimes I hear people say ach, what nonsense just nothing no it is, it's very important brothers and sisters the thing that you've just despised as nothing <coughs> has wrecked assemblies for generations so treat it carefully Treat it thoughtfully. Be before God about how you think you should conduct yourself in relation to it. Analyze the scriptures. brother, brother, i got an example of it yesterday. If you don't mind me saying, Douglas, you almost caught me out when you were ministering at the start. And I'm glad you did. He's speaking about voting. Now, you notice that Douglas didn't show his hand at the start. But then at the very end, he gave seven principles. So we were all clear where his hand was when he gave the seven principles were, when it came to the ballot box. But at the end of his ministry, he still never made it a doctrine. He made it an issue of conscience. He says, if you can fly, cry, fulfill those seven criteria, go ahead. In other words, we got an example of how to deal with an issue of conscience. Deal with it from Scripture, but then leave it to the people of God. And I take it that that is true. It really is true on all the matters that are in this chapter. Brothers and sisters, there are many things that can divide us, but we need to be before God about what the scripture teaches us and then practice it. And then in verse number 6, as he enlarges on this, he says, He that regard us the day, regards it unto the Lord. And he that regards not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. He so says, what's that talking about? He said, well, the man that thinks the day is special, he thinks it's special to the Lord. And the man that thinks that the day's got no... That Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday have no relevance whatsoever. Every day is the same. He also believes the Lord blesses all seven days equally. In other words, both people believe they are honouring the Lord. That goes on for for dietary issues too. He that eateth not, he that eateth. If you notice in that verse though, in verse number 6, they're giving God thanks. One's giving God thanks for his meal of meat, and those giving God thanks for his meal of herbs but they're both giving God thanks I actually think that's a good principle when it comes to issues of conscience can you give God thanks for it if you can give God thanks for it you know, you maybe, you maybe got something you maybe got something you can do but the point is this in verse number 6, both groups of people believe they're honouring the Lord that's critical Critical. Both groups of people believe in the This isn't lazy thinking. This is something that's deeply felt. <clears throat> now, verse number seven brings us onto this idea then, as we begin to look at the approval of the Lord, the Lordship of Christ, because it says, None of us lives to himself, none dies to himself. Oh, you see, why is it bringing in living and dying at this point? This is a strange, uh, strange argument. No, it's not. It's saying this. I can't live to myself and I can't die to myself. I can't evade the situation of coming to a judgment on this matter even if I die. You say, what do you mean? Well, one day, brothers and sisters, I'm going to be answering at the judgment seat of Christ for the way I've handled these matters down here. Do you see how now it's no longer a trivial matter? Do you see how now it's very serious? And the thing that we can just dismiss as, oh, well, it's nothing very important, is now actually very important because he's my Lord. And verses 8 and 9 show us that this is why Christ died and rose again. Look at verse number 8. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We can't evade this situation by dying. The act of the death of Christ and the act of the resurrection of Christ. It's not now me dying, it's now Christ dying, and Christ rising from the dead, and the possession of all brothers and sisters are his as Lord. I all brothers and sisters, the ones that have scruples about their food, and the ones that don't. In other words, that brother that, you really are not too fussed with the kind of views he's got in something, in his practices, he belongs to the Lord. And so do you. And that's why Christ died and rose again. Now you see, brothers and sisters, the trivial now becomes very serious. Because he's the Lord. And you have to iron these things out now. Live with each other. Got to work with each other. Because the Lord, he possesses you both. And he's in charge. Now, with that in view, you're almost ready for what comes next. Because having... Explained the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as for the possession. The strong and the weak um, um, revering one particular day or all days alike or eating vegetables or meat or both. The Lord's the Lord of them all and He belongs to them forever as to where you've got to and now you're ready for the fact there's a great appraisal coming. This is verses 10, 11, 12. He said, Look, the tribunal's still to come. The tribunal of what you think is nothing, or you think is something, is still to come. And the tribunal is the judgment seat of Christ. (coughs) Now brothers and sisters, as you know, I could speak on the judgment seat of Christ in these three verses, and that could be the ministry meeting. There are a lot of chapters on the judgment seat of Christ. We understand that this is a, a massive, massive topic. And the kind of four cardinal chapters this is one of them, Romans 14 1 Corinthians 3 is another, First Corinthians 4 is another 2 Corinthians 5 and we know when the judgment seat of Christ is because First Corinthians 4 tells us judge nothing before the time until the Lord come so we know that it happens after the rapture we're assembled in the air and then we're appraised at the judgment seat of Christ and then we're adorned there in the Father's house and we're adorned And the great marriage of the Lamb. What what a great great purpose he's got for us, brothers and sisters. But there's a tribunal, there's a judgment seat of Christ we have to go to. And I I, I know that my sin's not coming up there. I I understand that. I'm thankful to God that that was all dealt with in the death of Christ. I'm glad I've read Romans 3, 4 and 5. I'm glad, you know, I've got Romans 8, 1 in my heart. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin? Brothers and sisters, revel in it. Your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. Christ has dealt with it all. Whatever happens at the judgment seat of Christ, my sin's not coming up. But, brothers and sisters, I don't think it's going to be the Sunday school prize giving. I think it's a very solemn thing. Because my life is still going to be assessed. And the rewards that are offered will be based on the life that I've lived. And 1 Corinthians 3 is definitely looking at the construction of the assembly. It's likened to God's building. And what I build into God's assembly is going to be a praise one day. Oh yes. And the conduct in my body, 2 Corinthians 5, is going to be a praise one day. And the whole issues of um, context will be taken care of. Paul says, I judge not my own self in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4 you say "What do you mean, Paul? Of course, you believe in self-judgment." He says, "But you know," he says, "I actually don't have the capacity to judge one's spirituality." He says, "But you know, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come He says, and then he says, he'll judge "The hidden things of darkness will be brought to light, and then shall every man have praise of God." Brothers and sisters, if you judge me, you just might, you just might give me a big head. You might say, "I'm not there. I'm here." Doesn't happen very often in Scotland, but you know, it could happen, right, can I? Okay? That wouldn't be good. It's more likely to be the other way around, though. You may not put me here, he may put me down here. And that would make me sad. But isn't it wonderful to know that at uh, the judgment seat of Christ, he'll get his assessment absolutely right, absolutely correct, But how we've conducted ourselves down here. And that should speak to us all. And one of the things that's going to come up it's how I've treated you over matters that I think are not that very important or matters that I think are very important but not doctrinal and what will be assessed is how much I've loved you really and that's very solemn isn't it no? at least I find it is and so when I come to this section here in verse number 10 This is the clinching reason to stop the incessant criticism of one another. Christ is Lord. The right to judge belongs to Him and He will judge accurately. There's no room for human judgment here. Now stop. Stop criticizing your brethren. Stop making them feel small and stop judging them. And so he quotes from Isaiah in chapter 45 and verse 11 and he brings to bear the Scriptures on this great subject. As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now we know that we take that in Philippian epistle, and we speak about the unsaved doing it. Well, here it's brought to us to acknowledge that in that day, the righteous Lord will get a right. Some of the translations, you know, call it the judgment seat of God. You know that, and whether that's right or wrong, it still seems to have good manuscript evidence. The point is this: God knows everything. He knows every sin, and He also knows the backdrop and the context of it all too he'll get the assessment right and will acknowledge that he's Lord. And so verse 12 reaches the conclusion to that whole subject. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And as you know, that every means each. Individually accountable. But We should just stop there and remember that now in assembly life there's a corporate responsibility but there's now an individual accountability here what you've built in to the assembly that's 1 Corinthians 3 how you've conducted yourself with your brothers and sisters that's Romans 14 individual accountability the strong you may be right brother you are strong brother but you're boasting in your superiority and it's become the wrong is the very man you despise the weak, you're mistaken ah but you're accepted by God don't put yourself in God's place though stop censoring the strong and so you can see that the two attitudes are now utterly exposed and I suspect that in the Roman assemblies when this was read there would be a silence at this point As whoever read the letter out there would be a serious silence at this point God has spoken. Then the apostle lifts his pen again. And in the remaining section, he tells them how to handle it. Now comes the approach. Here's how to handle one another. And so we have what I'll call the cross principle in verses 13 through to 15. And the reason I call it the cross principle is because the cross is mentioned there in verse number 15, for whom Christ died. But there's an argument that builds up here. And really the argument is, is this love what I'm doing? Is this self-sacrificing? Notice what it says in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another any more. I think there's a particular emphasis now to the strong brother here. The tension seems to change from what it's meant to be doing wrong to what am I doing that might make him go wrong. See the second word for judge there in that verse let not therefore judge one another anymore but judge this rather, that second word judge really is the idea of resolving or making a decision. And all that's left now is is to decide whether I'll trip up or entangle my brother or no. That's all that's left to decide. Will I put a stumbling block in front of my brother? Will I do something that would wound that man's weak conscience? Will I do something that will affect him in any way? Notice the language in verse 13. That no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in his brother's way. I broke bread, you know, just on Sunday there with a man. I remember the day he got saved about three years ago. 20 years he sat in the street begging for alcohol. His sister had buried her. She died from alcohol poisoning. I remember the day he got saved. He's a proper alcoholic. He's never touched a drop, as far as I know, since he got saved. But it could happen tomorrow, so we pray for him every day. Just imagine you've got no conscience about drinking wine. Would you take him into your home and pour it out in front of him? I hope not. I hope not. You see, verse 13 says you could wound his weak conscience. He could go into the world, get smashed that night, and never be back again. Ruined, wrecked, altered. You see how careful we have to be? Brothers and sisters, whatever your view is on those things, just how delicate the situation is. Now Paul makes it clear in verse 14 I mean, I've already mentioned the verse I know and I'm persuaded that there is nothing unclean of itself He's making it clear in his position That he doesn't have these scruples about various things But He makes an important point in the second part of verse 14 To him that esteemeth anything to be unclean To him it is unclean He recognizes <clears throat> He recognizes that If someone deems it to be unclean before the Lord He could wound their weak conscience have no scruples, but he goes ahead and does it. That brother could be lost and that sister could be lost. The brothers and sisters, I take it that's where we are when it comes to the issues of the so-called small things amongst us. We move very delicately and sensitively. And the Apostle Paul gives very good advice. In verse 15 he rises to the high ground of the cross principle. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, thou walkest thou not charitably. Our word for love. Destroy Not him with thy mate for whom Christ died. He says, don't let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. Measure them by the cross. Apostle Paul, you know, he says in 1 Corinthians 8, this is the man that ate meat. He says, I'll eat no meat while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend he Paul, are you be serious. You become a vegetarian for the rest of your life. He you said, I would prepare to do that. And it's going to affect my brother. Brothers and sisters, that's what Christian love looks like. Because you see, how we act to one another is in the light of the cross. He died for me. And he died for you. He's put the whole price of Calvary in your head. And I love you because I love Christ. 1 John 5 1 says, He that loveth him that begat, loveth him that is begotten of him. Our love is forced in the very flames of Calvary. And as a result, I'll move sensitively. Even if I think I can get away with it myself. Because I don't want you going down. Because Christ died for you. So the cross principle. Then we come to the kingdom principle in verses 16 to 18. And he says in verse 16, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Your good meaning your Christian liberty the blessings of Christian liberty the liberty you have to eat whatever you want the liberty you have to treat every day the same and everything associated with that type of agenda your Christian liberty he says don't let what is right be wrong don't, be, don't allow what is good to be a tool for evil don't allow the devil to get an advantage that says you've got scripture for what you're doing don't allow a good thing your Christian liberty to become an occasion for blasphemy <coughs> That's what verse 16 is saying. And then comes the fall. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now I think that's wonderful. This is the kingdom principle. Now I know that he's dealt with in chapter 11, the idea that the Jews are going to be restored back in again. He's going to graft them in again. And I know that every every Jew... At least, I would hope some of the Gentiles by that time too had grasped the fact that there was a literal kingdom going to be established in a future day. And the kingdom, you know, is a wonderful truth. Paul doesn't expand on it much in the Roman epistle. But, you know, in Rome itself, he had two years preaching the kingdom of God. So I think they got a bit good, good of a, a one point. Anyway, <clears throat> you read that in Acts 28. But the idea of the kingdom, whilst it will have a literal physical reality, it had a present manifestation in this day remember when the Lord taught in the Beatitudes, it must have created a bit of a shock when he said it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say there will be. He used the present tense. He spoke about the kingdom of God being in your midst. First Corinthians four he likens it to the assembly. I take it, brothers and sisters, there's a kingdom of God in mystery now. I take it there in the assembly, the, the, the sovereign rule of God was seen. And the kingdom principles were being outworked in Rome. It says you've been brought and translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And the principles that will mark that future kingdom mark the manifestation now. What is it? Love. Yes. Well, we've already seen that. What else? Righteousness. Well, that was Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, wasn't it? what else peace oh that was Romans 5 wasn't it therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God what's the next one joy Was well, is that not Romans 8 see I've been through these things this is what they've been given righteousness ah they've been given constituted righteousness imputed righteousness but now he's saying, no let's see this practically at work now let's see it developed and this joy this rejoicing we we'll were speaking about in chapter 12 he says let's see it developed you know, there's nothing more joyous in doing something to help another brother and sister. Nothing. Nothing more joyful in just supporting and helping another brother and sister in their journey home. And there's just something here about the peace and the serenity. Pursue it, he says in Peter. And so these are the principles of the kingdom that are to be seen. And I take it that we're not in the judicial setting of the early part of the chapter. We're in the practical at working, but... You know, it's a wonderful thing in assembly life when you leave the gatherings for that particular Sunday and you leave a joy that leaves no one sad. That's a good that's a good day. And as you go through the week, you know, it's not just about the gatherings. As you as you as you, you instill an assembly fellowship with one another, you know there's no barrier to peace. You're not hurting anyone, you're not wounding anyone. You're actually going out to do positive good towards others. And there's just something here about the spirit of the kingdom that's being established in these verses. And it goes on to say, John, this is the approval of God. Verse 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ. You're not actually serving your brother and sister. You're serving Christ. And we can have some awkward personalities in assembly life. I remember, you know, when we were first married. Two or three assemblies around us closed and I remember it, we went to, I I buried 16 old sisters between 1997 and 2002. I learned a lot, you know, burying those old sisters. But we used to have them round to our house and feed them and so on. But I learned too that assembly life, you know, wasn't simple. And not everybody was the easiest to get on with. Some were more tricky than others. We began to realize, you know, that we needed help, and we got help, but in actual fact our service was to Christ, and our service was to God, and that helps you overlook some of the awkward personalities, some of the awkward things you have to face in assembly life. You're doing it for the Lord's sake, and for no one else. But then comes the corporate principle. This is verses 19 to 23. And uh, in this section, what we're learning is a very important point. When it comes to matters that can divide us, like I've been saying, what's important is, not what I think I should do, but what's right for the body, what's right for the whole. So that in this section, verses 19 and 20, 21, this kind of area here, it speaks about, edifying one another, that's the word for building up, the idea of construction begins to use collective terms, it's no longer brother against brother or sister against sister etc it's now thinking of the corporate principle and my private convictions have to live within the context of the harmony and the upbuilding of the corporate testimony, the community of faith of which I'm part of and this is a very important point brothers and sisters, you might believe you can do this but is it going to help the whole company? And can I just say to those who are elders and those who have deacons roles, particularly deacons of Jesus Christ roles, 1 Timothy 3 Philippians 1 roles, public teachers and so on, you must show by example. If there's sensitivities to conscience, you show by example that you'll not wound anybody's conscience. And you'll not go against it. Lead remember what it says of Nehemiah that the previous governors they did x-y, so did not I I believe there's a need for modelling the types of behaviours we expect to see within the company but this business here of that word follow there in verse 19 is a word for strive pursue, chase after the things which make for peace very similar to what you've got in Peter's epistle. Seek peace and pursue it. Very similar. Go after the things that are going to build up the company. And if you know this is a problem, we stay well clear of it. Don't, don't open it up. Don't expose the fracture lines that are already there. Don't make it worse. And so there's something about seeking the peace and the building up before the Christians. And I believe that that house building, that mutual up building, that edifying work is a very important work. Have a corporate view. So I say to the young folk, you've gone to the elders with a particular thing you want to see done and they've come back to you and they've said not just now, we'll pray about it don't get too disappointed you don't know what's all going on behind the scenes you don't know what they've got to deal with you know how difficult it is sometimes to do things and there's wisdom that's required in when things can happen how things can happen and where things can happen okay? and so there's just a recognition that it's for the whole and not for the individuals that are going to be part of it <clears throat> And so the apostle is alive to the fact that the strong could really destroy the work of God and pull down the building here. Particularly when you get to verse 20. For meat destroy not the work of God. And don't allow the simple things like meat to destroy the work of God. And um, when you get into verse 21, you know. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother is stumbled or is offended or make weak. It couldn't be clearer. Christian liberty is a freedom from the strong and the subtle law of self, a freedom to live for others, independent of their evil, but the servant of the soul. There's just something about how our liberty really is love, and we're doing absolutely nothing to stumble. Now, I've not gone down the line of naming all the hot potatoes amongst us. I mean, a few. The brothers and sisters, Go sensitively on issues that we know that are getting people upped. Try your hardest to conform, even if you think you don't need to. Do everything you can to build up God's assembly, because there's something more precious there. A brother touched on politics and activism yesterday, so he was just telling me later, or in fact, it was before I know, spoke a company where there was some blessing in the gospel and there was souls saved from Eastern European extractions several of them baptised and came to the meeting and then the referendum came and then during the referendum some of them thought well we can't vote in a general election but we can vote in a referendum and all the rhetoric around anti-immigration came out of the meeting <coughs> It should never be named amongst us. It's not for us. All that political view, let it go. Brothers and sisters, it's pleased God in Romans 16 here to bring Jews to Rome. To bring Persians to Rome. To bring Greeks to Rome to build the testimony. He's doing it again in our day. Stay away from anything that will cause any division in the assembly stay away from it stay away from things that were just I can think of things and I know that we all have to just bite our tongue at times things. things that really upset me and I know I can't give you chapter and verse on it I know it's an issue of conscience and I didn't make it an issue of doctrine I know that but it still hurts still hurts so try not to be a maverick eh and try not to throw overboard what's been commonly believed amongst us for a number of years. Tread carefully with God's people's consciences. Now, the last two verses. And with this I close. The character of faith principle. You see, at the end of the day, forget the, for leaving aside the cross principle and the kingdom principle and the corporate principle, there's a character principle. And it's called the principle of faith. Verse twenty two says, Hast thou faith? It's not speaking about your faith in Christ and salvation. It's speaking about your your liberty as a Christian to be freed up from these scruples. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. <clears throat> Don't you be You've got a reassuring faith. You accept that. The ESV says, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Happy is the man who has no qualms and conscience of what he allows himself to do. You've got faith to eat meat, carry on. I'll keep it quiet, eh? And then it says to the weaker brother, verse twenty three, and this is a very important verse for me. And he that doubteth is damned, is condemned if he eats, because he eats not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You see, we can only act in faith. I can tell you a few things that I don't do. And this is my verse for it. I can't tell you any other verse. But there's something in my soul that says I can't do that. It's because I can't act in faith doing it. I can't before God say I've got clear light from Scripture to do it. Because of that I don't do it. And what it's saying here in verse 22, it's saying to the wheat brother, despite the fact that Paul says you can eat all the food he wants, he's saying if you've got a problem with it, don't touch your stuff. Because you've got to act in faith. Now when you realise that, brother, and you realise just how precious this truth is, go sensitive with your brother. Because if he sees you doing it, he might just do it himself. And what to use nothing will be the ruination of him. Now, brothers and sisters, now you can see that Romans' epistle is the most practical epistle in our Bible. It's just really bringing the doctrines of the gospel to us. The doctrines of love. May God give us help to live with one another. My prayer is that the assemblies here in Aberdeen will know if our Lord tarries harmony and unity in the days to come. For there's nothing greater than God's assembly. May God give you help.